Welcome to 20 by 70, the podcast for people who expect more from Philadelphia and from our democracy. I'm Chris Satulo, your host. This podcast is the work of the Committee of 70, that quaintly named organization that is actually Pennsylvania's oldest good government group. Here at 70, if there's one thing we're most passionate about, it's free and fair elections. We work hard to make sure, come election time, all eligible voters can go to the polls armed with the information they need to vote their values and their interests. It's in that spirit that we're offering this set of primary election podcasts for Philadelphia voters. We're going to zero in on several of the important primary contests that tend not to get a lot of media attention, but which can have big consequences nonetheless. These races will shape a new makeup for Philadelphia's legislative delegation to Harrisburg. In each case, the race will choose a replacement for a longtime member of that delegation. The three seats we're looking at in this three-part series are the 177th, the 181st, and the 184th. We're doing these podcasts with valuable support from the Thomas Skelton Harrison Foundation, which for many years has given grants to various Philadelphia organizations to support better government and better democracy in our city, and we thank them. I'm joined here in the studio at Kelly Ryder's house on the Penn campus by David Thornburg, 70s president and CEO. He's going to help us get a sense of the big picture and the stakes in this state election. How are you doing, David? I'm just great. So election day is coming up. We're working hard on it, but who cares? Like, what difference <laughs> will it make? Now, now, now. May 15th is the primary, so that's the date you circle or uh, put a flag on in your calendar. Um, this is a this is a significant changing of the guard that we're looking at. As you mentioned, uh, three of the races that we're going to be talking about are races that have been held by incumbents for literally decades. If I were to add up the tenor, tenure of uh, Bill Keller and Kurt, Curtis Thomas and uh, uh, John Taylor, we're probably talking about 85 years, 90 years even of experience. This at a time when Philadelphia's delegation in Harrisburg is, let's just say, severely outgunned. This is the most uh, Republican uh, and the most conservative Republican legislature probably in 100 years. And as we know, and not that this is a good thing because we play this, uh, we're all for competition, but Philadelphia is a heavily Democratic city, about seven to one. So this is a, this is a really important time in the political uh, life and the future of the city. And as you mentioned, the juice is down. Many of the people uh, who in the past were powerhouses in Harrisburg that represent the city just aren't there anymore. Um, Dwight Evans is in Congress. John Prezel had to leave his job, had some legal problems. Vincent Fumo, state senator, had legal problems as yes, well. Some of our representatives were, were term limited by the federal government. Right, right. Well, you know the old line in Philadelphia, the incumbent only leaves office in a coffin or handcuffs. That's right. Uh but one of the things we're seeing, and we'll certainly hear this uh, in talking to the candidates in the districts, the 177, the 181, and the 184, um, the old guard is passing and uh, some young people, some uh, real new voices are seeking election. Yeah, these are districts that represent neighborhoods that are going through an enormous amount of transition. And we're also seeing that at the we'll say, the lower levels of political representation. This this time around, we also elect uh, committee people for both Republican and Democratic parties. 
which are the, you know, the sort of ground troops of democracy in this city. And there's a great deal of uh, a great surge of interest in new candidates running for those positions. So there's a, there's a lot of I think largely productive churn uh, that's going on, uh, but it, it's a, as I said a, at a very consequential time. On the national political front, right now we're hearing a lot of breathless talk about this being a wave election, a blue wave, um, where Democrats are going to um, recover some of the ground they lost in the last few elections in Congress and in state legislatures and, and governors' mansions around uh, the country. Is that also something of a prospect, do you think, in Pennsylvania? Well, I think so. It's, it's, it's largely irrelevant or at least a different conversation mm. in Philadelphia because everybody's a Democrat. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, But uh, th- there are factions within factions in there the Democratic yeah. Party that right. are clearly going to play themselves out uh, in these primaries, which is partly why we're paying so attention. So one, one thing we might hear is essentially some echoes – of the 2016 Democratic primary. You have a lot of people who are inspired by Bernie Sanders and, other, and a sort of collection of progressive ideals and a sort of very uh, uh, aggressive um, approach to upholding progressive values who are running for office now. They've been motivated by what happened in 2016, both the primary situation with Bernie Sanders and then obviously what happened in the, the presidential uh, race. So it's not just your old guard, pragmatic Democratic candidate anymore coming from the, the Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, maybe party. this is a sort of a test case for where the Democratic Party is headed because uh, Philadelphia has trended more and more capital P progressive. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of back and forth in the National Democratic Party about where things are headed. In the western part of the state, uh, we saw a congressional special election where Connor Lamb, who is by the standards of today, a fairly conservative, um, you know, supporter of the Second Amendment uh, candidate who won. Um, so uh, then back in Philadelphia, we've got more of a, uh, I guess the question is, is there a progressive wave, not just a democratic wave, right. but a progressive wave? And of course, here at 20 by 70, we don't just keep score on the horse race and tote up the number of Ds and Rs. We worry about what difference it makes and what policy and substance and issues um, will be affected by what happens. So yeah. in terms of what really matters in people's lives, what's sort of at stake? What's yeah. at play? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm climbing a new soapbox these days uh, because I think it is the job of a legislator to actually get stuff done. And you can't hide behind just a piece of legislation that you introduce that has no chance of actually going anywhere. Your job is to engage in the difficult day-to-day job of, of passing legislation uh, that benefits your communities. So this is a test for the Philadelphia delegation and these new uh, aspirants to the legislature. And I think they need to be questioned on their ability to – I'm tired of that reach across the aisle stuff. But I just it's, – it's about, you know, getting stuff done. Right. So – and you will hear us probing them a little bit about, you know, how they're going yeah. to uh, connect their ideals to actually that job of getting in the state house of representatives 102 yep. votes so that something can pass. So, OK. Now let's get to the candidates. With each candidate, you'll hear a conversation of about 10 minutes. Our goal in these special election podcasts is to give you a sense of each person, their background, values, and goals. It is not to dig into the horse race, the tactics, or the negative attacks. These chats revolve around three questions. Number one, 
What's the one achievement, accomplishment, or trait of your career that you most want voters to know about? Number two, what's the one issue or goal for which you will fight relentlessly if sent to Harrisburg? And third, on the flip side, what's the one idea or proposal you will fight just as relentlessly against? In this episode, our focus is the 177th Legislative District. The 177 is one of those oddly shaped gerrymandered districts. It hugs the Delaware for a while, taking in a few of Philly's river wards, then snakes up across Cotman Avenue into the lower northeast. Its longtime representative, Republican John Taylor, is hanging it up after this, his 17th term. Four candidates are competing on the Democratic side for the chance to face the sole Republican candidate, longtime city council aide Patty Pat Kozlowski, in the fall. The Democratic hopefuls are Joseph Hohenstein, Sean Kilkenny, Daniel Martino, and Maggie Borsky. Three of them agreed to talk with 20 by 70. Mr. Kilkenny declined our invitation. The first candidate I reached by phone from her home. Let's get to it. And now we're joined by phone by Maggie Borsky, one of the candidates in the 177th. Welcome, Maggie. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. I wanted to first ask you a little bit about the district you're seeking to represent. What is it that you love about the 177? What are its particular um, charms and values, and what are its challenges? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting district, um, mainly because the neighborhoods vary, I mean, drastically, depending on where you're at. Um, you have certain parts of the district that are really young and up and coming, and more people of my age group or generation, you know, 25 and to 35 or 40. And then you have other neighborhoods such as the one I live in in Bridesburg, which it's just super, you know, family oriented, very close community ties. Uh, your neighbors have your back sort of thing. Um, it's just, ve- it's just been really cool to go into the different neighborhoods and areas within the district that, uh, so how unique it is. Um, but what makes it so unique also provides its own set of challenges. Uh, you know, Based upon how the neighborhoods and different areas vary, there's obviously different problems and different issues and different wants and needs um, based upon where you're at. So what makes it so unique also provides its challenges for offering the best representation across the board. Uh, What could you be a little more specific about what you see as some of those challenges? Uh, Yeah, I mean, um, you know, for instance, uh, if you head more down to uh, the lower part, uh, that's going more towards uh, center city in South Philly, I guess you could say, uh, you know, there's a lot of it, the opioid epidemic and the homeless population is right there. And when you knock on the doors and interact with people and see it for yourself, these are the concerns people have, you know, they want to know that they have a state representative that's going to work with them and hear their thoughts and, and hear their feelings and needs and, uh, help them combat certain issues there. Um, you could go more North of the district and, you know, a similar issue, but people want to see, you know, more of a police presence. I spoke to a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago, actually, where they said one of their issues was that, you know, 15 years ago, you would see a police cruiser come by just on the same time every single day. And that doesn't happen anymore. And they want that more peace of mind to see that police presence there. Uh, These have been pretty common issues uh, that I've seen from my experience of going out and knocking. When you're talking to voters, what's one thing, what's one key thing about your experience, your accomplishments, your character, um, your past that you want them to know, that you want them to 
see you in that light? Uh, yeah. When I when I meet with voters, and what I want voters to know about me is that it's always been a it's been a part of me from the beginning that I always push myself to be the best I can be. Um, I know the first thing people look at me and or see me, and they they know I look young, and I I do look young, and I am young. I am 25 years old, but you know certain things about myself I would like them to know is you know I went to Bloomsburg University on an athletic and academic scholarship and a lot of people know it's not easy to be a student athlete uh, also while as a student athlete I had a dual degree in political science and communication studies and I graduated with honors and then from there I decided to attend law school which a lot of people know isn't easy and at this moment in my life it's certainly not easy to run for office while finishing your law degree so you know one thing I would want by my future constituents to know is that I always push myself. I never quit. And, you know, this is what they can come to expect from me as their state representative. Now I'm doing the math quickly in my head, but I believe uh, the incumbent who's retiring actually spent longer in Harrisburg representing this district than you've been alive. Um, so, yes, that, that is accurate. <laughs> so does that come up in your conversations with uh, voters? Uh, not really. Um, you know, one thing I will say is uh, State Representative John Taylor is held in very high regard in this area, um, and he, he has done a wonderful job. I know people rave about his constituent services, and I agree that uh, he probably has set the gold standard for that. And I really appreciate the service he's given to the 177th over his career. Uh, one interesting thing uh, when some people bring up, you know, oh, you're young or whatever is uh, me and Representative Taylor do have one thing in common in that we both ran for this seat uh, as we were finishing law school. I think he either might have just finished up his law degree from Temple University, same law school as I as I am attending now. And I always think that's kind of an interesting parallel. And I think it shows that, you know, the the energy and the the service he provided to this to this community in this district is the similar energy um, I'm going to bring to the table. And while our policies and ideologies vary, um, these people can still depend on me to fix their problems and help them out when they need, when they need a problem fixed. Kate, let's uh, imagine the best case scenario. And uh, at some point early next year, you'll be taking that energy to Harrisburg because let's posit that you've won the election. Once you're there in Harrisburg, what's one issue you are just going to work on passionately, relentlessly, just not give up to you achieve the goal? And what would the goal be uh, on that issue? I mean, without doubt, equality. Um, a big reason why I'm running for office right now is that Pennsylvania and specifically Harrisburg, I mean, it's just not a reflective democracy. Uh, we absolutely need more young people and we need more women. And I want to be the voice that I want to earn that seat at the table to represent women, young people, all the like. Um, even furthermore, with equality, I firmly believe that every child should have the right to a high quality education and a safe environment. Um, alongside that, all every and all women should have the opportunity and the right to earn as much as their male coworker. Uh, we also need to protect minorities in the LGBT community from the discrimination that they face each and every day. Uh, there's clearly issues in Harrisburg and in our government, and we need to take giant steps forward, and we got to work more towards equality. And I will work tirelessly to make sure that Harrisburg does, in fact, work for everyone. 
Uh, Maggie Borsky, I'm interested to know when you talk about those goals and those values that you have and some of the with some of the older residents of the river wards in the district, how, how does that conversation go? Well, uh, interestingly enough, um, a lot of a lot of the older people in my district, you know, river wards are more into the northeast. They absolutely mm. agree that we need to change the look of Harrisburg. We need young people. People are very excited to see that I'm young and they're even more excited to see that I'm a woman and that I care so deeply about making an impact. Um, it's definitely, it's definitely an interesting, uh, it's interesting to see the support I've gotten, especially from the older communities. When you go to Harrisburg, and again, in this hypothetical, what's, uh, one issue that you're going to, um, or one idea or one proposal that you're just going to oppose equally relentlessly that you would never barter your vote or trade your vote for because it's just something you could never tolerate? I, I Yeah, I, anything at all that would infringe on women's rights, especially health choices. Uh, right now we're seeing the Republican leadership and agenda in Harrisburg purposely take strides and steps to limiting women's rights and especially on health choices, um, especially with the women's right to choose a 20-week abortion ban, the bill that just was passed yesterday through the House. Um, any, I would oppose that without even thinking twice about it. Um, also, any type of effort to defund Medicaid or Planned Parenthood, I mean, these are, these are services and rights and issues that directly impact women. And I just couldn't be more adamantly against anything, any act that would go against any issue that would impact women without women having a seat at the table and having the ability to stand up and say, absolutely not. We don't want this. We don't need this. Please don't vote for it. And that's exactly where I'm at. Very clear. Thank you. On the sort of the other side of the job, though, the job of the legislature it, legislator is if you want to get something done in the House, you have to get to 102. That's the number of votes you need to win. Have you given thought to going to a place that it's right now Republican dominated? We'll see how it looks at the end of this year. But also a place where you're coming from a city, Philadelphia, that is generally not regarded very highly and sometimes um, – lawmakers from your city are dismissed in Harrisburg. Do you have any thoughts about how you would actually make some allies so that you could get to 102 for some of the things you want to do? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, you know, that's a concern um, a lot of people have. Uh, one thing I will say off the bat is um, some people may or may not know this about me, but uh, I am the daughter of former Congressman Bob Borsky, who served uh, Philadelphia for 20 years in Congress. And um, I'm very proud of what my father did, and he definitely, uh, you know, instilled in me how great uh, government can be and how wonderful public service can be when you can make a positive impact on people's lives and help out your fellow neighbor. And with that being said, when my father was serving in Congress, and he did also serve in the state house for a few terms, uh, the political climate wasn't near as toxic as it is today. Um, you know, you in his day, you might have been, you might have gone to battle during the day, but at night you could reach across the aisle for dinner or grab a drink or whatnot. Um, this is the type of environment I would like to work to get back to in Harrisburg. Uh, you can't just hate someone or just, you know, dismiss them immediately based upon the party that they represent. That's not how things get done. That's not what our government or our country is even based upon. We're based upon compromise. Uh, so being 
you know, one thing I would like to do is I would like to be able to reach across the aisle and make some, you know, relationships and friendships and camaraderies with Republicans and see if we can get some issues that we do agree on and pass legislation together. Uh, furthermore, obviously, as you mentioned, coming from Philadelphia, it's an even more uphill battle. But one thing I will proudly say is that I have already cultivated relationships with several uh, state representatives um, from the Philly Coalition, uh, specifically to name two, uh, State Representative Brian Sims and State Representative Donna Bullock, who I know are ready to work with me day one. And uh, especially coming from Philadelphia, we need absolutely strong, steadfast leadership so that Philadelphia can get what it deserves from the state government. Well, Maggie Borsky, thanks very much for joining us uh, on the 20 by 70 podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And next up on our roster of candidates from the 177 is Joe Hohenstein. Welcome. Thank you for having me here. It's our pleasure. So first off, tell us a little bit about the district from your point of view. What are its its, its uh, greatest characteristics and maybe some of its challenges, and why do you want to represent it in Harrisburg? Well, overall, it's a, a working-class district, and frankly, it was gerrymandered, and it was gerrymandered to be a majority white district. Um, but it does retain the common characteristics of what I grew up with. I, I grew up in the Frankfurt uh, part of part of the the district, and to me, it's all about people who go to work every day, support their kids, support their families, and they want a measure of peace and tranquility, um, especially at the end of their day, and they they want to be able to know that things are taken care of, and for. So many years, the, with the district being represented by John Taylor, that's what people felt we had. Uh, I d- decided to run against him in 2016 because I saw a shift in his focus away from what I felt was the city and the neighborhoods and toward more voting, frankly, with, with a Harrisburg elite and a Republican party that was way out of touch with what our Philadelphia neighborhood needed. Um, and I challenged him. And so uh, with, to me, the biggest example of that um, sort of failure to stay with protecting Philadelphia was in the area of school funding and the fact that, that you know, for so many years, Mr. Taylor was helping and supporting not our public school system, but rather some of the alternatives that I don't think are the future uh, for us. I, 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 um, I think there's, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, I know, in terms of some of the issues, but to me, the most central thing is you create uh, a good, strong public school system because that makes all of the neighborhoods and all of the city as strong as they can be, and that's where you get that cohesiveness that people want, which is, you know, the, the, the sense that you live on a block where you know everybody or you know most people and you know that everybody's going to have each other's back. And that's the, the sentiment and the spirit that I, you know, want to continue. I just want to do it in a way that for me, actually economically and educationally really supports the people in the district. Okay, so let's get to the issues, and I think you know we've already mentioned the issue that will probably be part of your answer. But um, 
should you uh, get elected and go to Harrisburg, what's the one issue that you're just going to be absolutely passionate and relentless about that you're just going to be like a dog with a bone and not give up on? It, it's an appropriate fair funding formula for Philadelphia public schools. I, To me, the idea that we've abandoned uh, public education so much in the city that we're, fo- we're focusing in and um, allowing um, – Frankly, a decentralization with the with the uh, with the charter school movement to make um, the idea of what education a child gets reliant on things that um, that are outside of either that child's control or certainly in, in even the parent's control. And so, what we need to be able to do is to you know, bring it back. Now, the district has its own issues to make sure we're governed appropriately and that we actually do have the capacity to provide the quality. But with Harrisburg, the focus has been on a funding formula that just essentially has left um, whole uh, schools without textbooks, without, you know, without adequately paid teachers, without uh, the staffing and the support that they need. And to me, that was always, always, always um, the, the the primary issue when I when I ran last time, and and it's still a problem this time. Even though there's been the passage of a fair f- funding formula, it's only prospective. We have to get it so that it applies to all of the the the, the funding. Right. Streams. So, uh, having in my journalistic career spent an awful lot of time in this issue and talking to people in Harrisburg. I think I can predict with confidence what you're going to hear from Republicans and even some Democrats from other parts of the state, which is they say the Philadelphia School District spends $3 billion a year. How can that not be enough? What's your answer to that? Well, the answer is that we've got a much larger percentage of, of kids um, than the rest of the state is, you know, as far as uh, population goes. And frankly, we also have a much larger uh, percentage living in in poverty or in, or in, in lower economic means, and those, um, and especially when you when you're tying things into uh, the property taxation, there's less of a of a local ability to provide the support that's needed, um, and frankly, a an institution is large when you when you begin to get into these um, larger and larger school districts frankly present additional administrative challenges that aren't faced in smaller districts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the number one priority you'd fight for. Let's look through the other end of the telescope. Mm-hmm. Is there one issue, one proposal, one trend uh, coming out of Harrisburg that you want to tell voters you'd fight to your dying breath, that you would just, you know, just say no and just be relentless in, in fighting it? Yes, that's uh, the issue of protecting a woman's right to choose. And to me, that also connects to uh, an important human right, which is the right to appropriate and adequate health care and health care for all. But I would focus on the growing number of bills, one just passed recently in the the House, um, that would provide further restrictions on a woman's right to choose and, you know, and potential you know, defunding of, of Planned Parenthood. To me, um, that is an issue that, frankly, 
the government should not be involved in. It's a medical issue, and, and it's uh, something for a woman and her doctor to be discussing and making decisions about without the intervention um, of, you know, from the government. And, and you know, it, it, it was interesting when I saw that, that that was one of the questions. It was either that or um, the, the concept of um, making sure we um, fight giving up environmental regulations uh, for you know getting a fracking tax, which I also would oppose. But if you're only giving me one dying breath, um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say um, a woman's right to choose is, is something that absolutely um, needs to be protected. Just to clarify what you just said, yeah. if I understood you correctly, you're saying you wouldn't you wouldn't weaken or lessen. Right. Environmental re regulations yeah. in return for fracking. Ex ex exactly. Not that you're against the fracking no, no, no. tax. No, no, I, I think we need a fracking moratorium and then, and then also um, right now we need a fracking tax, but we don't need to trade apples for oranges and give up protections that we've spent 40-plus years building up because, yeah, frankly, um, we need clean air and clean water. Um, and But... Uh, Again, people also need access to health care, and women in particular need to know that that's access that's going to be unrestricted. So we've talked about the district. We've talked about issues. Let's talk about you a little bit. Okay. Um, what do you do for a living? I'm an immigration attorney. I have worked close to 25 years uh, in about half the time in nonprofit sector, half the time uh, private practice. Uh, last three years I've been uh, in a solo practice. Um, where I'm connected with another firm. I do a lot of individual representation. I represent asylum seekers. I represented um, women in um, situations coming out of domestic violence, surviving domestic violence and getting immigration status. Um, I was on a special project for that about five years. And then um, what I like to tell people on, on the doors as well is I'm, uh, I sued Donald Trump and won. Uh, we had a, an airport travel ban case right. uh, last year uh, that I was um, one of the lead attorneys on here in Philly. So was so that something coming out of or the famous demonstration at the airport? It was the original travel ban? It, it was um, one of the, the very first families that was uh, – they literally were legal when they got on the plane – um, ready to get yeah. permanent residence and then told they were illegal. Among those people. And returned. Right. Yeah. Who were yeah. Held. Yeah. yeah. So it was right on that first day. And um, and we sued within the week and brought them back within two weeks. Um, so that's, that's uh, you know, that's what I've done on my on my paying gig. Right. So yeah. we <laughs> we may have already answered the question I'm about to ask, but, you know, it is one we're asking all the candidates. Um, mm -hmm. what, what is the one achievement or accomplishment um, from your career that you want to make sure voters know about? Um it's actually a personal, professional one, um, and it's one I think I, I share, frankly, with any parent out there. My wife and I have raised two daughters. Um, they are adults now. My my oldest, uh, my youngest, just turned twenty-one, and for us, it was important that they grow to be strong and independent and assertive um, and resilient, and giving them the basis in education. Um, and also values, uh, you know, to to do that, to 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 get to that point in their lives. Um, for me, that switched over into the the public service realm when I decided to get on the board at Frankfurt Friends School, um, and I've done that for about fifteen years. Uh, we have overseen public uh, 
building projects uh, where we've done a new building uh, for our middle school. We took over a, a vacant lot and turned it into an outdoor classroom teaching area. And we even had a church that was going to be going vacant uh, next door. We purchased it and then repurposed it to become our gymnasium. So the, the stability that I was able to provide my neighborhood through my work with Frankfurt Friends is frankly something that I would call, if not my greatest achievement, it, it's one of them. Um, and that's an outgrowth of a personal achievement for me, which is frankly just be the best kind of parent I can be to my kids. Well, wow, Joe Hohenstein, that seems like a great place to stop. Thanks for being with us here today. Thank you, Chris. And we're joined now by Daniel Martino, one of the candidates in the 177th. Welcome to 20 by 70. Well, thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about your district. Uh, what is it that you love about it that makes you want to represent it in Harrisburg? The 177th... Um, I feel is at a crossroads right now. We have a lot of people that are coming into the city from other places, uh, other parts of the city, including other cities. In fact, I have new neighbors now from Boston. I've met people that are from New York. But there's also a lot of people that have been here for generations. Uh, in fact, where my grandfather's grandfather came uh, from Ireland, his house is actually in the 177th district. It still stands. Um, so there's a balance between the new and the old that you have to have a, a certain understanding of both sides in order to represent them properly, which is something I believe I'm suited for. You know, I, I like to listen to people. I like to listen to stories and what people have to say about how they're how they grew up and you know the struggles that they're facing these days. And it, that, that's the kind of stuff that's important to me. You can't just come through with the broad brush of idealism and expect people to listen and understand and, and support you. You have to you have to listen to them first. You have to understand what's wrong. Right. Did you grow up there? I grew up in Northeast Philly um, by Franklin Mills, mm -hmm. which is, I guess, Simon Mills or Philadelphia Mills or whatever it is now. Um, but I came down to the area a lot because a lot of family lived down here. So I'm familiar with the area, but I didn't grow up there. So, Dan, what's one characteristic, one accomplishment, one achievement of yours that you want to make sure, the one that you want to make sure the voters know about? So I manage a town watch in my civic association, and we started a program last year called Safe Streets where we got a grant and we managed to put one in-home residential camera on every block in the neighborhood. So one resident of every block has a camera that faces both ways down the street. We managed to cut our burglaries by 50% and we cut our thefts by 30%. Which neighborhood is this? Uh, the neighborhood is technically called Old Richmond. Most people don't know where that is. It's uh, right off of Lehigh Avenue. Uh, you know, depending on who you talk to, it's either Fishtown or Port Richmond or Flatiron or Old Kensington. But right, one of those great Philadelphia yeah, arguments. Exactly. Right? Oh, like, yeah. When you're knocking on doors, everybody has a different opinion <laughs> about where I live, which is fine. So, uh, how have the cameras worked in terms of reducing crime, and what's been the connection with the police department? We work very closely with the 26th district. Um, we have uh, personal relationships with many of those officers, um, and like I said, the the result has been a 50% drop-off in burglaries and a 30% drop-off in thefts. We, we, where we are is right on the front line of a lot of the Philadelphia heroin epidemic. And so we see a lot of property crime, unfortunately, that goes along with that. And that was something that was brought up, you know, by the neighbors. You know, a lot of people were having things stolen out of their yards or having their cars broken into. And we wanted to address that, not just being 
reactive. And when an, when, an, when, a, when an incident occurred, we wanted to find a way to be proactive and find a way to prevent it. And that's, that's exactly what we did. That was the idea of the program. And I'm pretty proud of how well it worked. I'm actually very surprised. So how though. do you see that connecting with working as a legislator at Harrisburg? How does that – what's the line there? The line between between that and Harrisburg is really just a quality of life issue. I know a lot of the people in the neighborhoods are dealing with quality of life issues because what they see or what they hear on a daily basis tends to frighten them a little bit about what's going on nationally as well as locally. I mean, there doesn't seem to be any end in sight to this drug ep- epidemic. And that, that affects Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and the entire country. Um, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of answers going around. So... When it comes to solving problems rather than just breathlessly talking about problems, I think that's one of the assets that I bring to the table here is that, you know, we can talk all day about all the issues we face, but we need to start talking about the solutions and start implementing them. And that's that's part of why people ask me to run, because solutions, you know, we, we found we, we stopped talking and started doing. If you are successful and get to go to Harrisburg as a member of the now somewhat tattered, scattered Philadelphia delegation, uh, can you say what's one issue that you were just going to work tirelessly on? You are not going to give up on it. And what would success look like then? I would love to work on universal health care, at least universal treatment for drug addiction. Right now, um, a lot of the people that I speak to who are dealing with this within their own within their own house, within their own family, a lot of these people um, just can't get the help that they need in order to have their loved one or their wife or husband or son or daughter to successfully make their way through treatment because now treatment is the, the options are so limited you know some it used to be you can go for 90 days now you're lucky if you can get 30 days or a lot of stipulations if you don't have the right insurance you won't make it through so healthcare is a, is a major issue not just not just on the drug front but also like perfect example I was just a uh, Easter um, I was talking to my great uncle who is 89 years old who now has to go get a part-time job to pay the medical bills for his wife. And, I, and he was saying, he's like, I never thought when I was 89 years old I'd still be working. And it breaks the heart to hear that kind of stuff. And that's just not fair. You know, he, he, had, a long, he had a job his whole life. He had a pension. The company that he worked for went bankrupt. Pension disappeared. And now he's still working it. You mentioned uh, the drug problem and, and how it does af- affect your community. And you mentioned heroin. Are you also seeing opioids, legal painkillers, abuse of those as a problem? I do. I mean, a lot of people like to blame the pharmaceutical industry, and they absolutely have plenty of blame to share on this. But there are also plenty of people who use drugs recreationally in high school or in college, and that turned into addiction. So there are many roads that lead to an addiction, and I believe there are many roads out, and I think we should explore every single one of them. Um, There are people who have asked me specifically to make mention of the fact that people who do truly need uh, medication, you know, opioid medication for pain management, or having a harder time uh, accessing that medication because of now what's going on both nationally and locally with, you know, minimizing the amount of uh, pills you're given at any given time in a script. So that's something else that we need to address. We can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, as it says. Do you have a a particular legislative idea to address this sort of suite of problems you've just been discussing. It's, it's tough to say because, again, the, the tilt in Harrisburg is so heavily skewed Republican that, you know, a, a lot of people won't be very honest. And it's like, you know, it's going to be very difficult for you to get any progressive action done because you're already at a 119 to 80 disadvantage. But we'll see what happens. I mean, the, you know, if the, blue, if the blue wave is truly coming, 
I know there are a lot of Republican uh, representatives that are retiring this year. So the best we can hope for, I think, is at least a balance, um, you know, and then maybe we can actually start to have a conversation with some of the Republican representatives because I know that the, the, the epidemic doesn't care who you voted for. They don't care about your political ideologies. They, they're, you know, non-discerning when it comes to that. And I think there are a lot of people who are staunch Republicans who would be interested in hearing this because it affects them and affects their families as well. Certainly affects rural parts of the state. Absolutely. Very strongly. Uh, what's one thing um, that you've seen going on in Harrisburg or that might be on the horizon in Harrisburg that you are going to go to Harrisburg bound and determined to fight against? You're never going to vote for it. You're going to try to stop it. I feel like there's a, change it. a breathless assault on working families, on union families, right to work laws, uh, paycheck protection laws. I would, I'll never do anything. I would never vote for something that would diminish the power of union families. What would you say to those who say that um, the power of unions, particularly public service unions, are a big part of the cost of government and the inefficiency of government, and that's part of the problem? I would, uh, I wouldn't disagree with that. But I think that they, I think that we should be auditing a lot of these institutions, especially the city. Um, I, there was a there was a term that was recently introduced to me uh, called government bloat, mm-hmm. which I thought was a cute way of saying wasting money. Um, so that's something I think we should get to the bottom of right away, and that's something that I'd be strongly in favor of. Uh, you mentioned that there's a pretty strong uh, Republican majority in Harrisburg right now, might adjust somewhat in the coming midterms. What are your thoughts about being a Democrat from Philadelphia, which is almost equivalent to being a swear word in parts right. of Pennsylvania? How are you going to approach that conversation with the other parts of the state and the other party to try to change that conversation? The same way I approach every conversation, which is to listen first. Um, I think that we have, by and large, stopped listening to each other and started shouting over each other, which is not a good way to get anything done. Um, you know, I have a lot of respect for everybody. You know, I, I don't, again, I don't ask anybody who they voted for before I help them. And same thing on the Hill. If, if people want to work together on different issues, if we can find compromise, that's, that's ideal. You know, I'm not going to go up there. And just start screaming and pounding on the table and saying, this is what we have to do. It's important that, especially as a freshman, to understand that I don't know everything. And there are people who have been doing this a long time. And there are subtle nuances to every, every issue that need to be understood. Dan Martino, thanks very much for joining us on 20 by 70. It was my pleasure. Okay, Philly voters, that's a glance at some of the choices you'll have on primary day, May 15th. If you're not registered to vote yet, I'm afraid it's too late for the May primary. But you still have time to take part in that important midterm general election in November. You have until October 5th to get registered. For details on how to do that, visit the Committee of 70 website. That's 70speldout.org. As always, this 20 by 70 podcast was done in partnership with Young Involved Philadelphia a great group that helps younger Philadelphians stay informed, engaged, and active in the civic and political life of their city. Our producer, as usual, was the ever-smiling Joel Surfs Up Patterson. Our engineer was, again, the unflappable Zach Cardner, ably handling the controls in the Wexler studio in Kelly Writer's house on the Penn campus, which graciously hosts this little effort. Thanks to all the candidates who agreed to submit to our impertinent questioning, And thanks, as always, to my partner in useful civic mischief, 70s president and CEO, David Thornburg. 
Remember, May 15th is the day when we decide what kind of city, state, and country we want to be. Vote. It'll feel great, and it will make a difference. And until next time, remember the heartfelt advice that guides the 20 by 70 podcast. Expect more, Philadelphia. Show. Sure.